So, Tyson Fury, you've done Deontay. You've dropped a few kilos, practiced a few moves you got off Muhammad Ali. So they say you're the best in the world. And like Tiger Wood, you've got a story of disgrace, depression, courage and redemption that'll probably become a Hollywood movie. But when you come out with stuff like you're going to celebrate your win with cocaine and hookers and that the best place for a woman is on her back, I say, hang about. Is this the sort of bloke we should be honouring with knighthoods? After all, being good with your fists doesn't necessarily make you a great role model. So what's the rule here? Should we say, arise to Jeffrey Boycott? We can forget that conviction for assault. It's been so long. Here's your gong. Or take Ben Stokes, OBE this week. We can forgive and forget what happens off the pitch as long as you're a winner on it. Some understandably think the Gypsy King should face eternal shame. But I believe that where there's contrition, there can be redemption. Even for a big tub of lard like you, Tyson. Just mind your manners, or I'll send Ferrari round. <laughs> <laughs>
and offence archaeology, whereby whatever you've said going back your entire career can be used against you to eliminate you, really, from your job or from public life, as we saw from Danny Baker. Mm. And I genuinely think, I mean, I don't want to be an offence archaeologist myself and say, when did Tyson's Fury say that and when did he apologise? Because I genuinely think we have to celebrate Tyson Fury's achievements. And he's just not in the same category as Harvey Weinstein or Roman Polanski or someone who's actually admitted to a crime and been, in Roman Polanski's case, convicted of a crime. I just don't think that we can discount Tyson's Fury's incredible achievements um, because he is a testosterone-fueled athlete. I mean, we watch the rugby and we see the England team fighting another team in the Six Nations. You know, they come to fisticuffs mm. on the pitch and we all realise that men are pumped up. They become very aggressive in the heat of the moment. And that actually bleeds into the things they say. You know, look, uh, think of Muhammad Ali, who you mentioned. Just you know, on a point of fact, uh, Weinstein yeah. always denied, just to say that, whereas, of course, the others... Well, hold on, he's just been No, 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 but we, have, we just have to say he did deny So can it, we yeah. just hear from somebody who speaks up for Tyson Fury? He's come back from, as I say, obesity, huge obesity, mental health issues. You know, he's a triumph for being fit and fighting, um, using his fighting spirit to overcome his human frailty, if you like. Um, the desire is to be the number one in the world, and he really has become that, cemented his position. There was a boxing commentator, Gareth Davies, who was in the Tyson Fury yeah. corner after the Las Vegas fight. Yeah, but you see what, I'll, I'll let you in a second, Michelle, but what, what, why I feel uneasy about this, though I'm for redemption, mm. is that I, I worry about people being given redemption because they're winners. You know, what, what you can't have is a situation where somebody does something really uh, morally reprehensible, it may not be unlawful, but morally reprehensible, but... Two years later, we, we forget all of that because they have won some competition. Being the best batsman or the sprinter or whatever it is doesn't make up for being uh, an A-class No, actually. I'm with you there. I think, that's, I think that's a little bit unfair. I think, you know, this whole notion of role model... Tyson Fury is a sportsman and an incredibly good sportsman who will go down in history, I'm absolutely sure of it. But then what we do in society is because someone is, a, in this case, fantastic sportsman, we then hold them up as a role model and to call him a I think that's a little bit unfair. I didn't say he was a but I'm just saying let's, well, let's, not, let's not set, make being able to win at games uh, uh, get out of jail free card for objectionable and unacceptable moral behaviour. But my point is that some of the views that he expresses, they are, he's quite a religious person. He's also from um, a particular culture, which differs very much certainly from mine. And he has a viewpoint and an outlook, one which I disagree with. I don't share a lot of his values or a lot of their traditions or sentiments and belief system. But does that make him a bad person? Because I'm particularly in favour of free speech. Mm. I might not like what you say. I might even be offended. Like some of the comments that he says about a woman, my place, I do not believe, is in the kitchen and on my back. I don't describe to that notion at all. I find it a bit offensive. But he's allowed to have that view, if indeed that's his view, and we should be allowed to disagree with him. We don't have to 
cancel him and, and be, I don't know, so critical of him. I admire him as a sportsman, but I disagree with some of his views, but I respect his right to hold them. But should we honour him, Rachel? I think it goes a little bit beyond his right to say things, which obviously he does have. I mean, we're looking at somebody who, I mean, his talent and his skill is not in dispute, but we're not just talking about his sporting achievements. We're talking about somebody who is now being held up as a role model. He's no, he's a personality. Not, and in that context, you know, I, oh, I yeah. do believe in, in remedial power. I do think people have a right. Look, we're all capable of, you know, saying clumsy things or yeah. being thoughtless or being careless. Um, but there is something about acknowledgement of that taking place, which I do not see with Tyson Fury. And I would like to remind you that these comments that he's made, it's not just a difference of opinion. These are homophobic, sexist, anti-Semitic comments made by somebody who is in public life and will have an impact on those communities, on those people, especially and in particular people who are thinking about getting into sport and will think it's not a, it's not a safe environment for them. All right, well, I'll just take it away from the blue corner, briefly if I can <laughs> there. Uh, just to remind everybody, of course, Ben Stokes was never convicted of anything. Is there a dynamic here because of Tyson Fury's background? Let's see what he writes in Behind the Mask, my autobiography. I was aware of racism against trans Travelers. This may be an outsider. So I felt that for me to get the attention I needed to be an attraction in the sport, I had to play the outlaw. I felt I had to act out a role to seek publicity. And to do that, I had to be controversial and shock people with how I talked. To some degree, it worked. But playing the role got to the point where I didn't know what was real and what was the act. Rachel, I, I, I think he is, as this Rachel, as Rachel on my right said, if he does have a parade through Morecambe and there is a statue put up to him because of his... He's then a role model, isn't he, which is what they're talking about. Is that appropriate for well, him? Well, there are, I mean, as we've discussed before on the pledge, there are countless uh, statues of people in public life who have subsequently been shown to have had done reprehensible things. But would things. you do it if you knew? Um, does he would I put a up a statue? I don't think I would. I think what Rachel was saying was interesting because I think the uh, context of that is he's been nominated for Sports Personality of the Year, Spotty. And therefore, you know, we have to consider whether you have to consider him in the round as a person, as a personality, as well as as a sporting hero. And I think that does raise a question. And indeed, in let, mind, yeah. look at the, if we look at the odds, uh, Tyson Fury right now yeah. is the favourite for sports right. personality of the year. And when we say sports personality, mm. we're not just saying best person at, at, at doing their sport. We're saying this is a person that we as a nation yes. want to honour. And I feel really quite uneasy without some really major level of contrition uh, honouring somebody as sport personality as opposed to sports, you know, sports practitioner of the year. Having uh, carried the weight a little longer, you know, a year now um, has helped. Last fight, you know, we, eh, we thought I, I thought I was going to be able to, you know, pull it off, or, but apparently, you know, the weight increase in such a short amount of time must have played an effect on, on the on the fight, you know. So I feel that this time it'll it'll be a lot a lot better for me. I feel better adjusted to the weight. Um, it was just a whole different experience during during the training and then. Just my body overall feels a lot better now. What were you not, you said, you know, the short period of time getting used to the weight, what were you not able to do? Well, I mean, we, we did a, it was a 12-week camp last, last time. Um, we spent uh, four weeks up in uh, snack, trying to, like, in a way, bulk up to the weight class, and then uh, 
slim down just enough to, to feel comfortable for the welterweight limit, but it's, it wasn't enough time. I just felt like, at the moment, I felt it was fine. But uh, apparently, you know, on fight night, I, I was just tired, slow, weak. Um, also, I feel that because I weighed in like 44, 45, somewhere in there for, for the weigh-in, um, we expected, you know, Errol Spence to be, you know, north of 160 on fight night. So to try to compensate for some of that, you know, weight uh, difference, I hydrated up to 154, I believe, for, for fight night, which was probably a mistake. That just made me tired and slow. I mean, just imagine someone throws you a, you know, 10 pound life, you know, jacket or something, and it's gonna, it's gonna tire you out. So I felt maybe that's, you know, part of the reason also. So I don't, I don't plan on, on doing all that this time. Um, but, you know, we just learned from that. And I, I can't point out exactly what happened, you know, one thing over another, but I feel that a lot of these little things must have played a, a role. So why stay at this weight? Because I still believe that my skills will allow me to uh, uh, prevail, even with, with weight uh, disadvantages and size disadvantages. You know, I feel that if I do things right, like I am this time, like I feel I am, then things are gonna, you know, change people's mind this, this uh, Saturday night. Are you still part of the uh, snack program? Yes. You're still going up there? Uh, we didn't go this time. Um, it would have had to have been like a two or three week uh, camp in December and we didn't want to go out there through the holidays. We did that last year, and, but we still did all their uh, training regimen and uh, program, uh, supplements, everything else. Hey Robert, how do you feel about the, the snack program? Well, look, we, we've been, uh, most of my fighters that I've, that I've worked with, uh, I always uh, use uh, snack uh, product. This Mikey's, well, after Nolito Donner, Mikey's the second one that actually goes there and does the work here because Nolito used to do it too. But uh, but all my fighters still use all their, their stuff, you know. They send me boxes of stuff for all of my fighters. So they, they all do the, the same program, except you know, they, they don't go there. Mikey and Nolito are the only ones that, that have actually done the, the, the workouts over there. Robert, you were very publicly kind of against Mikey fighting at 1.7 before the last one. How did you feel any different this time around? Look, even for this one, you know, myself, my dad, and, and, and my son, you know, we're a, we're a team and we work it all together. We we wanted it, and Mikey had agreed too also, you know, that his, his fight back should be at 140, and, uh, and, uh, and that was the plan. But, you know, from our understanding and, you know, what Mikey has said publicly, uh, we did reach out, well, they did reach out to a few 140-pounders that were big names so Mikey could come back, but neither of them were available And uh, uh, at, for, for this date. You know, everybody said, okay, maybe one month, two months later, we'll be, uh, we'll be ready. Summer. But not, not that, not February. So, so Jesse Vargas was the, was the one that was ready to step up and uh, was the only one pretty much available. Does the, the fact that you're still the lineal champion at 140, does that mean something to you? Is that still something you want to hold on to? And I mean, I, I've, I've been saying, you know, if, if um, after this fight, if I have an opportunity to come down to 40 for a good fight, something meaningful, then I'm definitely going to come down uh, unless I got something much bigger at 47. Like I said, after Saturday night, I'm going to change everybody's opinion and mind on, on me fighting at 147. So then people will be able to, you know, see that I can compete in both divisions um, against the top guys in, in each division. So 
if the right fight is available 47, then I may just stick around. But if there's a, a very good, interesting fight, you know, attractive fight at 40, then I'll come down to 40. Eddie's talking Pacquiao a lot these, these last couple of days. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that something that you think about at this point? I mean, we, we've discussed a possibility of uh, fighting Manny, um, you know, months ago. The, um, the fight with Manny interests us a lot. You know, it definitely interests us a lot. We've talked about it for many years now. But I also can guarantee that that's what I'm going to get next. And no one can guarantee me that. You know, and that's why I decided to take this fight, you know, because I couldn't just wait and stick around and wait and wait and not have any, anything lined up. Um, I would love to fight Manny if that's available and that's, if that's pre presented to me for my next fight. And then I'm definitely going to, you know, jump on that opportunity. Mikey, you've already had a two-year layoff. Now this one, you've been out over 10 months. Yeah. How do you keep motivated? How, what, what keeps you going? Because I know you keep working with the guys, you keep going to the gym, what keeps you going? Cause I, just, I just know there's a lot more to Mikey Garcia than what people have seen. I'm not done. I, I feel like I'm gonna be champion two, three more times. You know, so it, people, people didn't believe when I would first say I was gonna be you know, champion in you know, many divisions or fighting at Walterway, everybody thought I was crazy. And I'm, I'm here, and I'm, I'm going to show everybody that I can. And don't be surprised if you see me at 54 before I retire. I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm that motivated to just keep pushing. You know, I, I was willing to move up to 54 at one time when I was looking at Cotto, who's, again, at the end of his career, his last fight, and he was a small guy, you know. But if an opportunity like that comes around again where there's a small enough guy campaigning at 154, then I might just, you know, take it because... You know, I'm, I'm here to just take on all the challenges that are available and just add to the legacy. I want people to remember me forever. I don't want people to, you know, forget about me after I retire, you know, two, three years after I retire. And in order for them to remember me, I got to, you know, strive for greatness and just, you know, keep challenging myself. Robert, do you, do you change your training methods? I have experienced training him at welterweight. Does, does that, do you learn anything from that? And it was like Mike said, it was only uh, pretty much two months with us because he had one month over there in uh, Snack. Uh, so it was two months with us the first time around. So it, like, it just wasn't enough, you know. We, you know, we thought, you know, Mikey would be fine because, you know, he didn't really have to cut weight or anything. But the way, the, it was just, it just was a, a big difference, you know, when he came into the ring for the fight. This time around, you know, he's already been, he, he didn't, he didn't, we didn't have any fights in between where we had to get down to 135 or 140. So he's, so he's pretty much at, at his natural weight right now. Great sparring. I think, we had, I think this time around he performed better with the sparring partners. And even though we started with, with uh, the first four weeks were with two pretty uh, you know, strong and heavy guys, uh, 160 and 154, then the last two, three weeks we, we brought in 140 pounders. So, so we could get that speed and you know reflexes and everything back to, to where, where Mikey should you know still can't forget about his reflexes, his skills, everything. So that's why we were, we came in for those last two. Any names that, uh, yeah, that you might want to throw out there? Well, no, the, the first uh, the, the the heavy ones that we were sparring, you guys are gonna see, well, you guys are gonna see on fight. He's uh, he's he's on the uh, on the undercard. Uh, he's uh, Leo Acevedo. Pretty talented kid, you know. He's fast, he's tall, he's strong, and uh, just gave us really good sparring. The other one is uh, Misael Rodriguez, who's the uh, bronze medalist uh, in the 2016, 2016 Olympics from Mexico. And then when we came down to uh, to the uh, to the lighter ones, uh, one of them was Lindolfo Delgado. 
who uh, was very talented, very fast, and very talented. And another one was Sorcito Lopez, who fought Jesse Vargas in the past and, you know, helped us a lot in, in sparring, you know. He, he's already been, been in there with, with uh, Jesse Vargas. We also sparred a couple of times with Jose Ramirez, who's tall and, you know, and, and gave us good, good work. So those, those were our guys. So how many rounds do you think total? Oh, we did over 150. It sounds like for sure. No, we did over 150 for sure. Wow. Oh, yeah. Jesse's going to come in probably pretty big, too. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. Uh, I mean, what kind of fight do you want to avoid with him? And what's the what's not your fight in this one? Um, you know, I'm not. I'm just prepared to do whatever it takes. And I've, I've done everything in the gym. Like my brother just mentioned, all these guys that we spar with. So I, I figure he's going to be easily 160 or above on fight night. But I don't plan on trying to rehydrate to that level, you know, because that's going to slow me down, tire me out a lot sooner. Um, but when we were sparring these big guys, you know, I was using my speed, I was using footwork, I was using reflexes, um, everything that I needed to do to make sure that I outsmarted my opponent. And if, if the fight requires me to, you know, go 12 rounds, you know, boxing smart like that, then I'm prepared to do that. But I also spent some rounds where I was, you know, standing in front, using the, 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 their size, you know, just holding them back. So I'm, I'm ready to do that if, that if that's what it takes. If I got to stay on the inside to, to take that height and reach advantage, you know, then I'm also ready to do that. Um, I just, I'm not avoiding any type of fight. I, I think I did all the work in the, in the gym and training camp to be ready to do whatever it takes. What do you think Jesse's strengths are other than just size? I think uh, it's it's just that the size. I think it's you know the height um, and size weight that, that he has over me. That those are his advantages. I think he's gonna try to maybe use that, you know, for the first maybe half of the fight, um, four or five rounds maybe. He's gonna try to see if he can you know push me back. And if he's unsuccessful, then he might try to box and use the height and reach. But um, I think I think he you know he's gonna be surprised at how how well I can, I can make adjustments too. I mean, I, I, I'm the kind of fighter that can make adjustments, that can you know, be f flexible with things and, and uh, pick up on, on signs on my opponent and you know, move on from there. Robert, how would you like to see, along those lines, how would you like to see the fight unfold? Look, uh, I, I think uh, if, we, if we do all 12 rounds, I, I wouldn't mind because I think we need the rounds, especially almost a year that since his last fight. I think we need the rounds, so uh, we're not gonna go out there. I'm not gonna look, try to get Mikey to go out there and try to look for the knockout because, you know, that we never do that anyways. We're not supposed to, but uh, but I think uh, we could use the rounds. If we go out to our rounds, I'd be I'd be more than happy. But you know, anything could happen in boxing. Mikey catches him with a good punch, you know, good body shot, whatever, and and, and hurts him, then he's gonna try to finish him. You know, if if it happens early, mid or late, doesn't matter. But. I'd be, I'd be happy with, with going the distance because uh, we need the rounds. Where do you see, uh, along those lines, where do you see um, potential uh, challenges with Vargas? Look, like Mikey said, you know, he, the, the size, the height, the reach, you know, he's got a good jab also, so, so that, well, that's the challenge right there. We gotta, we gotta figure out how to, how to avoid you know, him taking that reach advantage and, 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 uh, and, and you see using that to, to win. We have to try to avoid that, and that's going to happen during the fight, round by round. Mikey's going to figure it out himself. You know, we're going to obviously going to be looking and seeing 
what we could do, but Nike does a lot, of, a lot of that by himself. By the time he comes to the corner and I give him instructions, he's already telling me, you know, he already knew that that's what I was going to tell him. You know, we, we communicate very well. Uh, besides that, look, skills-wise, I think Mike is more skilled. I think Mike is just, you know, a, a much better fighter. But the, the size, the, the height, the reach does make a difference. So that's one thing that we have to. Could I ask you too? Last one. Both of you, where do you find your drive? You find your drive very impressive. Where do you find that? Where, where did that happen for you? Um, I think it, it really started after the layoff, after the, the original two and a half year layoff. No, I mean, um, back, the kid. No, I didn't have it back then. Yeah. I, I didn't have it back when I was a kid. It was, I started at 14 no, and it was, a lot of space. <laughs> but, but it was, it was just because I was good at it and because it makes, you know, for simple, it was easy for me, it was natural. Mm. But that layoff, made me want it you know even more that that showed me that i mean there's so much more i can deliver and so much more i i, I want to accomplish that I, that it was taken away you know for those two and a half years so that's when it really sparked that that was flame was a artist watching all the nah. success that your brother had nah i i went to see all their fights and i would watch them and everything but that wasn't what really inspired me that wasn't it it just started you know not, not too long ago what do you think the it's, it's, we find it weird because that's the way, that's just the way Mikey is. Everybody in the family knows. Everybody close to him, we know the way he is. You know, you know, for us, it, it's totally the opposite. You know, having somebody like Mikey walking out into forty-seven thousand people is just. You know, I've done it before with with Margarito against Pacquiao or Maidana against Mayweather, but uh, my little brother Bieber, it, it's just something like we just couldn't, we never expected and never and never believed we'd be there because he never really wanted. Mm. Wanted it. He never gave us signs that that he wanted to be great. But like he said, since, since his comeback, he also brings that that energy to us because you know already already worked or built uh, twelve world champions. Now he wants to do that stuff like you know things that he, he could tell you. I'm not going to tell you what he thinks wants to do in the future. But I also now that motivates me to also want more things. You know, twelve is not enough for me. I want I want to get to the twenties. You know, twenty world champions and. Why not? Everything's, everything's possible. Just making, making 147, how was it? It was good. It was solid. Uh, I brought in a very good nutritionist, and he was able to keep me up to date with everything, inform me on what needed to be addressed, what needed to be changed, and we had a strict diet. That was uh, very important with two months in advance, and that helped me come down to 147 strong. Not just 147, but 107 strong and fast, and 100% um, there. I mean, the amount of calories that you take in, of course, that's just uh, fundamentals there. But uh, besides that, I'd say the proper meals after a workout, um, how many times I was eating a day, the portions. Um, he was able, I mean, him and I got along very well, so I was able to speak to him on a daily basis. And he actually helped me to make the 144-pound fight when I fought Broner. Mm -hmm. And I performed well. I really liked him. So we already have a relationship. And he... Um, I mean, I let him know up to date. I kept him updated with what I liked, what I disliked, and he told me what couldn't be changed, and I was like, all right, well, if it can't be changed, it's okay. Um, but it was basically, the amount of meals sometimes was too much, and what he did was he separated them in uh, smaller portions, more meals during the, throughout the day, and um, he kept me updated with what uh, 
cheat uh, cheat days I could have in, basically just a banana. That was about it. That's all I could have that's when it, that's my cheat day. Yeah, a banana, which it, it tastes really good right now. <laughs> I actually want that banana right now. Uh, but I mean, a strict diet is basically what it was. Um, the rest was up to these gentlemen here, uh, along with my strength and conditioning coach, Will Campbell. They um, had training. They scheduled training camp to perfection, week by week, day by day. Um, you know, Savala brought in great sparring partners, Mike, um, to making sure that uh, he was expressing his knowledge and um, his what he was content with, what he wasn't happy with, uh, the game plans between both of them. And I mean, I'm just thankful to have the team that I have. My father was up today; he was pulling my ear every now and then, letting me know uh, what's being done right, what needs to be perfected. I'd say that's it, man. I mean, what's being done right, what's being, what needs to be perfected was fundamentals in this training camp because we have a clear idea of what we want to do. Uh, they have a clear idea of what I can do, how I can switch it up, whether I want to find the inside and how I'm going to do it, whether I want to find the outside and how I can do it. Uh, so it's just about diversifying my style inside the ring and, you know, basically taking action, uh, dictating the pace, and doing what I want to do. You said you run away from this, you use this nutritionist for the runner fight. Uh, well, I, uh, I continued using them. Uh, I didn't use them from last fight, though, my last training camp. And uh, I feel much more comfortable having him with me because I just feel that he's having my body perform optimum level. I mean, as well as my trainers. I mean, it's a, it's a match put in together, right? Uh, but um, the nutritionist is definitely an important factor. And uh, on a weekly basis, I would have to come in and I would have to um, inform him on how my body is uh, is in general. I mean, there's an in-body, as you all know. If you work out daily, you know the in-body gives you information on where your body's at, um, the muscular mass that you have, uh, and how much water you have in your body. So he calculates all that, and he says, okay, Jesse, um, so the plan is to do this, do that, and you're going to make weight perfectly and strong. John was the guy like that daily. Okay, that's the guy. There you go, man. As you know, as you know, as you know, it's uh, the cheat days are real good, right? Every day. There you go. Jesse, what did you first think of when uh, the name was floated at you when they said, "Hey, what do you think of Mikey Garcia?" Or they called about Mike. What was your first thought? Well, um, let's go back when I signed to Matchroom and uh, the Zone. Um, the Mikey Garcia name was under the contract that if the fight would happen. You know, um, it was a big possibility. And, uh, well, it's 2020 now. They offered me the fight a couple months ago. And, um, you know, finishing 2019, I was happy with, with the opportunity. I was happy with the name because it's, I knew that it was a fight that the fans would really enjoy, that would generate tons of attention in the boxing world. And as a fighter, as a professional athlete, I think that's your main goal is to you know, give them a great highlight of your career with a great performance in a great show of this magnitude. In Frisco, Texas, it's a beautiful venue, perfect place to you know, uh, shine and to let it be known that you're a top dog in the division. Where do you uh, rank them with I mean, I give him credit, uh, Sergio, because he is a four division world champion. I mean, he is a talented fighter. Uh, I give him credit for what he deserves. Uh, I think we all do, but um, he, he's, he doesn't know what he got himself into. That's the thing. I mean, he does like a challenge, but, you know, uh, 
Uh, I think that just my technical ability, my ring IQ, and my size is going to be uh, a big benefit and uh, a big difference here in this fight. I'm going to make sure to make it be noticed, make, make it be seeable, and, and prove everyone once again who Jesse Vargas is. I was an underdog when I became world champion in 2014. I defeated an undefeated Russian who had just beat Joan Guzman. He was supposed to be a big, tough guy. Became world champion, defeating him. Became world champion again, defeating uh, Saddam Ali, who was a boogeyman. No one really wanted to fight him. Um, I remember uh, Timothy Bradley didn't want to fight him for a year and a half. They actually gave him step aside money that way he could fight someone else. Uh, I mean, the fight was offered to me. I didn't have any issues with it. A lot of people doubted it. Doubted that I would come out with the victory. And I knocked him out in sensational fashion in the ninth round in a spectacular victory. And I want this fight here to really stand out in my career. and. For a lot of people to remember this performance as uh, one of my great performances. Just with your experience at 147, how do you plan to capitalize on everything that you did throughout your career coming into this fight? You're fighting somebody who fought 147. Yeah, well, I mean, just my experience, you know, in general. I think it's going to be key. Um, not only fighting 47, but even the 40-pound uh, diversify and perfect different things in my style that they see that needed to be done better and executed much better. Um, I mean, pretty much snapping. You want to say? Yeah, well, instead of just boxing them, like clearly boxing them, just jabbing and moving them, the plan is to break the, the fighter down as, as the rounds go, building on, on uh, uh, you know, first the jab and then start working up and down. and basically staying a little busier, one step away. Putting the pressure down. I mean, well, find the inside, yeah, find yeah. the inside, find the well, inside. Yeah, we're, we're ready for whatever is going to bring. We're ready for everything and anything. You know, that's the thing about uh, me. I mean, you all know. You, I mean, I hope you do, uh, because if you've seen a lot of my fights, I fight very well on the inside, and I'm a big guy. I'm a tall fighter. I'm very good at fighting the outside when I want to. I'm a very good counterpuncher, too. I mean, you see the way Manny Pacquiao fought Thurman, the way Manny Pacquiao fought several other guys and just annihilated them. And then when, he was, when we were in a fight, it was a, a very entertaining match that was close. And I was just trying to counterpunch him. I was trying to uh, just catch him with that big right hand. And he knew it. And he was very wary coming in. I mean, I'm, I could be very defensive. I could be very offensive. But what I do is I switch in between both. You know, I, uh, I attack when I have to. I, uh, when I want to change it up, I start you know, being a little defensive. When I see that the crowd needs a little bit of action, I come in a little more and put myself in a position where it's going to be a little bit more of an action-packed fight. Um, in numerous circumstances, I've done it and offer the fans uh, enjoyment. Honestly, uh, maybe that's something that I should change, but it's just in my style, it's in my DNA. I want to give them action. I want them to uh, scream and root for me and, you know, but a lot of these, yeah, well, yeah. Do you take anything from, I mean, you kind of physically comparable dimensions to Spence was, do you take anything from, I mean, how much did you watch that fight? How much did you study it? Uh, which fight? Uh, Spence versus Mikey. Spence versus Mikey, I, I mean, I had looked, not only that fight, I looked at numerous fights. I mean, the fight where Spence, yes, that's one of them, Easter fight, uh, the um, Rocky Martinez when he got dropped by a right hand, that was in the 130, 35-pound division, uh, Salido. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't so long ago, because I remember it clearly. You know, I mean, the way the right hand was landed right down the middle. 
and uh, took him down the way Salido, fought him in the inside. You know, that's something else to, to really um, look into and dissect as a fighter who's facing a fighter such as Mike Garcia. You just look at his pros and cons and you use uh, some of his strengths against him, use the weaknesses to pick him apart, like, uh, like Ernie said, you know what I mean? It's about picking him apart round by round, piece by piece, uh, knowing how to uh, change the angles, uh, change the punches up from hitting the body and going upstairs, finding the inside, getting in the clinches. You know what I mean? Everything's gonna be just uh, knowing how to have variety. Yui's boxing, uh, March the 7th, yes, uh, Manchester Arena. His fundamentals was always there, you know, the boxing and he's got all that. But what needed with Yui is being able to hold his ground, mix it up, um, throw combinations, all these types of things. He strengthened his conditioning. So, you know, he's been working on all of that. It's a culmination of things, you know, when you're up against it and you're in world level opponents, you'll get away with a lot of mistakes in front of not so classy people and you'll be able to get shots off but you've only got to be a little bit hesitant you know or go around with your right or not have confidence in throwing the right and it'll get exposed and on a world scene you've seen it time and again and you know he's he's been very very bad habits of not doing enough because there's a reason for that it's not because he's not fit enough it's not because he can't throw the punches it's because uh, you know he just couldn't get that right hand going but I believe uh, we've rectified that problem. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. We've had a, since the Povetkin camp, we've changed things around totally and had a real in-depth look. Now it's fine-tuning those changes where everything runs smooth. Like anything else, it's like building a fine engine, yeah? You've built the engine, but then you, you've got to time it because the timing's off, it's not going to run right. So then there's, there's one thing getting things right and there's another thing making sure it's smooth, so it's smooth to the fighter up here, so he knows what he's doing, it's natural for him. Everything for me a fighter's got to do is natural. It ain't got to be forced, it ain't got to be something he's not used to, he's got to be used to it, he's got to know it in his sleep, subconscious is there. And you know, that, that is not a short thing to achieve. That takes time, it's Groundhog Day. You know, it's like, uh, it's like polishing a piece of metal that's been under the ground for years. And you know, you keep polishing it and eventually it's starting to shine and go smooth. Same. It's repetition. But the right repetition, not the repetition where they're going to get bored. Not the repetition where, oh, I've got to do this again. That mentality is stale. Already your fighters, the light bulb's gone off. So I could talk to you all night about the mental side of it. You know, it's uh, to get something different, to keep them stimulated, to keep talking to them, to keep get everything going. Yeah. There's some dark times, there's you know, things which ain't going right, but that's normal, it's all part of course. You know, it's not about today, it's not about tomorrow, it's long term. That's the key in boxing. And, you know, anybody can shout for the rooftops, it's longevity that counts. That's what you're remembered for. You know, is Buster Douglas highly remembered? He's remembered to shock defeat Tyson, but look how he went out. You know, nobody mentions him, he's not going to go down in history as one of the best fighters ever, is he? You know, but he won all the belts. 
So it's about going on the journey. And the good thing with Yui, people seeing him develop, they've seen all of his fights, they've seen the frustrating fights he's had, and he's there at the end of it, he's got his head down, he's deflated, you know, because he's thinking, you know, what have I got to do? This kid tries hard, he's got a heart of a lion, he takes good punches, you know, he's trying, but there's, a, there's, a, there's been a break in there. So now he's getting older, he's getting wiser, and like I said, we've been working on a lot of stuff, so I'm really looking forward to, uh, to March the 7th. I've got to say, Peter Clark, he's done a fabulous job with him. You'll see the difference in his body shape. You can see here, he's a big unit. You know, he's, uh, at the moment, I think he's 17-7. But he's, uh, he'll come down to fight day. We'll have to look where he is, but he's, he's, uh, he's strong, he's fit, and he's, uh, he's hitting well as well. This is a heavyweight game. He is actually very good on his front foot. You, ain't got to, you don't need to go around the ring like a gazelle, you know, and tip a tap and do no damage, you know. It's, it's like anything else. Whatever his physique is, whatever he, whatever he pans out at, that's his weight. And this is his weight. He's eating natural foods. He's eating good food. And this is his weight. Simply in a nutshell, I think what Peter's been doing with him has been excellent. But also, I think he's... Um, let's not forget, he's, he's, he's 25 now. So he's getting older and maturing. So he's, uh, but he is, you can see, he's, he's a big unit. Yui's not a gym fighter, he never has been. You know, he'll just run through his motions. I'm pleased with what I see because Yui's one of these. He seems to get it on fight night. He's a different fighter when it's for real, which I'm happy with because there's no point in having a world champion in the gym and falling apart to the spotlight, is there? He's the other way around. Yui's like, he's pretty, he'll be mundane at times. You'll see, you'll see flashes of absolute genius in here. You know, and other times he's just plodding emotions. Don't forget, these are hard camps, and he's got some very hard sparring as well. You'll see the sparring tomorrow when you're here. The sparring's intense, it's gruesome, there's a lot of leather being thrown. So it's, uh, you know, it's not tip or tap stuff. Martin Bacoli is a very good fighter, he, he throws a lot of shots and he brings pressure. He's not somebody you can dance around the ring and keep off, you know, that's why I've got him. If you go to run around the ring from him, he's walking you down, you know, and he's very good at cutting the ring off, he's light on his feet as well. And he throws, he's athletic, he throws a lot of punches, and he's all over you, you know. So basically, that's why I've got him. Because we want Yui to hold the centre, and you know, have control of the ring properly. So, what I'm doing with Yui, you'll see, a, you'll see massive changes in this kid. You know, because we're changing him round. Because one, he's older, he's mature, he can hold his feet more. He can ship these kind of shots when he needs to, and he's mixing it up. So he's, he's got all round different styles with him, so he's not going to lose his boxing element. Because like I said, I don't care who you are. You stand in the centre of that ring and you stand with your flat feet flat. You're looking to get your lights put out. 
this is a boxing game. Heavyweights, they can all hit. And if they connect properly, no matter who you are, you'll go. So like I said, the boxing's paramount, but we're going to see a lot of changes. We're going to see more on the front foot, more mixing it up, more combinations, and you know, and really getting the bit between these teeth and looking for stoppages rather than the points. 2020, I think, uh, big things. I think as much as he gets a lot of criticism, I think that's only out of frustration because people really want to see him do well because he's a nice young fella. I think he's going to change a lot of public opinion by the end of this year and he's going to be back in serious fights and uh, hopefully he'll be fighting for a world title. But either way, he's going to be in the mix. You know, I want him back in the top five. And I think this year, people will get behind him and he will turn the corner because there's one thing talking about it, you know, let the people see it. So I'm a firm believer in that. I don't say anything in hope. Hope is a weakness. Hope is something where you, you're trying to give yourself a G up when you don't really believe it. I'm a reality person. It's good to have confidence, but it's good to know reality where you are as well. Come March the 7th, the world's going to see. And I want him to uh, do good things, and I think people will see that. I think Billy Joe Saunders is sick of boxing. I think he doesn't enjoy it anymore and he's just looking for a retirement check from Canelo Alvarez. He's been around for years, Billy Joe, mainly fighting in obscurity and making peanuts, going through grueling training camps and chasing the big fights which never came. Even a man he beat in Chris Eubank Jr. has been in much bigger fights and made a lot more money than he has. At this stage, I think he just wants to be able to relax, get pissed up with his mates, go on lads' holidays and sail off into the sunset. A year or two more, and I reckon he's done. I could be wrong, but I'm just going off Billy Joe's demeanor in interviews, a lot of his performances, particularly his last performance. I know they say he was jet-lagged and was ill or whatever the case may be, but... I just get the impression that Billy Joe doesn't have much more left to give. I think the game, and I'm, I'm not talking about being in tough fights and wars in the ring. More so, I'm talking about the politics of boxing has worn Billy Joe down psychologically. That's the impression I get. I mean, if he was to go in there against Canelo Alvarez and somehow pull off a win, and I say somehow because not only is Canelo an extremely good fighter, but you also got to battle the judges and the referee when you're fighting Canelo. So if he somehow managed to win, then maybe it would inspire him to go on and do more. That obviously would be a rematch and all that kind of stuff. But I get the impression that 
if he was to lose to Canelo and get paid a, a load of money, that we wouldn't really see much more of Billy Joe after that. That's the impression I get. Maybe they'd match you with Callum Smith. Maybe he'd have that rematch with Eubank Jr. But I think a year or two more and Billy Joe is done as a top-level fighter. If that, could be sooner. So again, I could very well be wrong. I don't want to write him off or anything like that. But I'm just going by the journey that he's been on, which has been a tough journey particularly psychologically. Billy Joe has struggled to keep himself in shape. He's had so many shows that were canceled and all this kind of stuff. And if you listen to him talking about why he wasn't in shape and all that business, it's because he couldn't get the big fights. It's because he was struggling with motivation. And I think there's only so much that a fighter has in the tank by way of, you know, that get up and go. I think the industry, the business of boxing can wear you down. And that's where I think Billy Joe is right now. Billy Joe, to me, looks happiest when he's bantering and with his friends and all that kind of stuff. I think drinking and going out and lads' holidays is a big part of it, to be honest with you. I think Billy Joe, the impression I get is that Billy Joe would rather be doing that than boxing than waking up and doing road work and all this kind of business. I'm sure he enjoys fighting itself, but the training, I don't know whether Billy Joe's really on that anymore. Remember, Billy Joe's been switching trainers all over the place. And one of the reasons he left Adam Booth is because he said, there's too many bad influences in Hatfield or around London. Not necessarily bad as in evil, but you know, bad as in friends who... He might go out for meals with, drinking with, all that kind of stuff. Struggles to discipline himself around his friends. So he literally has to remove himself from that, or he felt at the time anyway, he had to remove himself from that environment completely and go up to Sheffield to train with Dominic Ingle. So, yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Am I being too hasty here? Thinking that Billy Joe is sick and tired of boxing? And he doesn't have much longer left in the game at top level. Or do you agree? Let me know, people. It's happening I'm out. When it was first talked about, obviously, I thought to myself, you know, this is, this is the guy who I used to watch a lot. Um, almost idolise. But um, as... I think as it's gone on, I'm looking at him, obviously, he's, he's a threat, he's my opponent. He's, um, he's trying to take away everything that I want. So now I'm solely focusing on basically finishing, ending his career. Do you think, I mean, most people remember Chuck Adida from the last loss to run the side there. What, what are you kind of preparing for? Which version of him are you getting ready for? I'm preparing for the for the Chocolatito that beat Quadras. Um, I've got to go, go by his last big performance and that was that. Was that. I thought he beat Rungasai in the first fight. He never got a decision, but then the second one he got wiped clean out, so um, I'm expecting him at his best. Now, when you say you're preparing for that Chocolatito, that version of Chocolatito was unbeatable. So how do you beat that version of Chocolatito? 
um, use, use, my, use my attributes, use my speed, my technical ability, and use my physical strength and, um, and the power that I haven't shown in my last couple of fights because of the opponents. In that fight, I was just completely off my game. I was completely flat. Had a few weight issues. Um, I had a horrendous time. I never, I, I never slept the whole night. I slept about an hour. Um, no, no, no. It was just we we switched a few things up, weight making, and and it didn't work for me. Um, and I spent a lot of time having to lose a lot of weight, and um, I couldn't feel my I couldn't feel my legs after four or five rounds. So it was more of a weight issue rather than just yeah, and flatness and flatness. I was just completely flat, um, but I just done what I had to do and got through the fight. What did you tweet to IBS? Did you feel better going into this one? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And my last fight, I, I had no weight issues with that with that either, so I was I was perfectly fine. Normal camp for you then for this? Um, it's been a happier camp because I'm 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 buzzing about the fight. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited. I've been excited since since the fight got done. Um, it's just a complete different vibe. Everybody around me has noticed a completely different version of me mm -hmm. because I'm you know I'm excited. I'm excited to go to the gym every day. I'm excited to um, to sh I get this. I'm on a platform now. I'm on, I'm fighting one of the biggest names in the lower divisions and. I get to show the world that what I'm capable of doing instead of fighting mandatories who shouldn't really be in the ring with me and just in there to survive. Do you think that's kind of been an issue? Or like, not, not that you were motivated, but clearly you're more motivated against a guy like no, I wasn't Peter, I think the fans are. I, too, I wasn't really motivated though, as no, a thing. I'm just, I'm that kind of guy. I need, I need to have a threat in front of me. I need to have that bit of fear. Um, like when I won the world title, I was an underdog in that fight as well, fighting a two-weight world champion and I took, completely took him to school. And that's what I need. I need pressure because um, I thrive off that pressure, and uh, and, uh, and I find it a privilege to have that pre pressure because not many people get to feel it. Is there a type of fight with him that you want to avoid? Like, do you not want to get into a slugfest with him? What kind of fight do you not? Want no, no. no. I'll, I'll I'll do what how I feel when I'm getting there, um, but I can box. People have seen me box on the back foot and counter well, and um, I can fight as I've shown. When I, when I first made my US debut on ESPN, um, I had a slugfest there and I, show, I showed I could fight. And um, I've got to use my attributes, my speed, my technical ability, also my physical strength, which goes unnoticed. And I'm a big guy in there, and I'll be a lot bigger on the night. Cal, how do you overcome um, the negative press and criticism? And it's got to be tough. Be motivated, like you said, be a completely different person walking into the ring when the press is like ripping you apart. That doesn't really bother me. I'm not one of them guys. I don't take notice of what people think or what people say. I'm in there to do what I want. What I want to do. I'm there. For, I'm there for myself to be the best that I can be. That's all. That's what I want to achieve out of boxing. Be the best I can be and secure myself and my family's future. And um, and that's what I'm doing right now. So the people that want to slag me off. Do you feel this would be the challenge that would hush everybody? Oh yeah, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, and that's why I'm buzzing about it. But at the same time, I know that if I go out there and I absolutely demolish 
Chocolatito inside three, four rounds or win on points or whatever, people still, people just go, oh, he was washed. I know that, but it don't bother me. My bank balance is going to be lovely and I've got, a, I've got a Hall of Famer on my record and I'll move on to a massive unification, so I don't give a shit. <laughs>